And just to kind of echo some of the words of Ep- I'm proud of our seniors. This is the largest graduating class of North Hills in her history. Uh, we celebrate 10 years this year, and um, all four of these seniors, um, of course, you know, they don't have good historical data of their own lives. They didn't, weren't quite for sure how old they were when they came to North Hills, uh, but all, we've determined they're all about nine or 10 years old, give or take a year. <laughs> Uh, but they've all been here for all their teenage years and a, a, a significant part of their childhood. And so they are, without a doubt, a, a significant part of the North Hills family. And we are uh, grateful for them and for their families, and we love them dearly. I uh, love each of you, Madison and Alyssa and Nate and Logan, and just very grateful for how the Lord has worked in your life uh, these past years and very excited to see how he works in the, uh, in the years ahead. I would like to turn to a passage of Scripture before we get to Habakkuk. Um, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture, especially during senior recognition. And some of you, I can feel your eyes rolling. You say, I know John's not going to go where every senior uh, service goes and misuse this Scripture as it is often misused, but in its proper context is even more pertinent for our seniors this morning. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11. says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, the gross misuse of that is to say to seniors, that good things are ahead, that life's going to be easy, that you're going to sail through college uh, with great grades, and you'll be at 4.0 at the end of that. Uh, You'll be happy if you finish college in four years. (laughs) You may not even finish college. You may not go to the place you want to go. You may not be married in the next four or five years. You may not have two and a half kids and a white picket fence in the next 10 years. You have plans, surely, today, on May the 16th of 2021. And so the oftentimes we look at this passage and we don't understand what good is. We don't understand what a future is. Don't, we, none of us know how long we have on this earth. But as God is speaking to His people, as God is speaking to true Israel, as God is speaking to those who are His, Seniors, these four specifically, who have all professed Christ as Lord and Savior. God does have a plan for you that is good. And that good is found in Christ. He has a future for you who is Christ. And so whether that looks good, whether things work out the way we think it should work out, whether it looks good according to the world standards or our plans are a complete mess, or if your five-year plan does work out. The good that you are to pursue, as we'll see this morning, is the good that God has for you. And God works all things together for the good for those who love and trust the Lord and who are called according to His purposes. So, I would like us, as we see this verse often during this this baculart season of the year, uh, to know that there is truth there for God's people and there is a truth there for our seniors. And so, Seniors, I hope and pray that your time here at North Hills in these past seven or eight years 
has been a, a time that you can know for sure who Christ is. And you can know the power of the gospel and that your hope can be found in Christ and that your hope and your future is found in Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, a time to open your word. Thank you, Lord, even for a special um, highlight this morning of these seniors. And Lord, we don't elevate our seniors, we elevate Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that these four have looked to you and have trusted you. I pray they continue to do so, Lord. And as they begin their college years and they begin their careers and as their families lie ahead and whatever may come, Lord, I pray they would look to you and trust you when things don't feel good, that they know things are good because you are good. Thank you for their families who have loved you, continue to love you and trust you and now entrust these to you as they always have. Thank you, Lord, as we open up Habakkuk, that we'll be even reminded of truths that are very pertinent to this stage of life. Would you help us to see Christ this morning? In his precious and strong name we do pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to join me in the book of Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, as we are making our way uh, through Habakkuk, as expected, a little slower than we had planned, and so, uh, but that's okay, right? Because even though some of you are graduating, seniors, you've got nowhere to go. So next week, we'll be right here in Habakkuk chapter 2, and hope that you'll be with us next week. Uh, by way of just real quick recap, for those who are uh, joining us this morning, who are friends and family, especially of our seniors or those who hadn't been with us in the past few weeks, uh, and Habakkuk is a minor prophet. The Lord is speaking to Habakkuk. They're having this exchange, if you will, and Habakkuk is bringing his questions to the Lord. The Lord, you know, have you forgotten us? And all this evil that's happening in Israel. And the Lord said, no, I've not forgotten you. I'm actually actively at work. And then Habakkuk comes back and says, okay, how can you be actively at work using evil people because you are a good and holy God? And so we come to chapter 2, where we started uh, last week to look at the Lord's response to Habakkuk's second complaint as to how he is involved with the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, or the Chaldeans, if you will, uh, for they are an unrighteous people. And so, uh, as we saw last week, he said, I want you to make it very clear, I want you uh, to write this vision down and this response that I'm giving you. I am not slow at work, I am at work, and you will see uh, what is going on. And so he's going to give this full response to Habakkuk that we'll see <coughs> in the rest of chapter 2. And um, our plan was to finish chapter 2 this morning, but we're going to kind of stall on verse 5 this morning, and I hope it will be a beneficial time for us. And excuse me this morning, uh, like many of us uh, dealing with a cough. Uh, so in Habakkuk chapter 2, as we come to verse 5, Let's read verse 5, for this is where we're going to camp out this morning. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. 
And so what we see here this morning as we turn to verse 5, we see as God is about to give, uh, as, he's about, as He's about to pronounce through the Holy Spirit to Habakkuk these five woes that are found in the rest of chapter 2, um, He is clearly telling Habakkuk that you're right. I am holy. I am good. I have... I am not uh, guilty with these evil men, as we see at the end of chapter 1 in verse 13, I believe it is, or verse 11, uh, that they are guilty men, that God is using them. They are instruments of God to bring about His judgment and His wrath uh, upon both the corrupt uh, leadership of Israel and even the world uh, at large. And so He's using them in a very clear way we see in chapter 1. But the emphasis of chapter 2 is they are still a very guilty people. They're very guilty of their actions and of their deeds. And so uh, verse 5 focuses again on just how vile the Babylonians are, how wicked a people they are. And they are in one word, if you will, in uh, verse 5 here, it kind of wraps them up with arrogant. They are arrogant men. Uh, and even maybe as most specifically that Habakkuk may be referring to Nebuchadnezzar II uh, as the current king during this time, likely. But whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians at large, they are an arrogant, sinful, guilty people before a holy God. So although God's using them, they are fully guilty of their sins, of their decisions, of their actions, of their life, of the path that they are on. So we see in, chapter, in verse 5 here, we're continuing to understand just who the Babylonians are. Um, and it says they're arrogant people, they're greedy people. And we see that for them, death is never enough. And so we're going to kind of unpack that this morning a little bit. And so when you go back to the beginning of chapter, verse 5, it says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. Now, Depending on your translation, it may say, moreover, wealth is a traitor. You may have a footnote that looks down there and it says this could mean wealth. You may even have another footnote that says these couple lines right here, that moreover, wine is a traitor and an arrogant man is never at rest. It's very difficult to properly interpret and translate from the Hebrew. And so there is some, some difficulty here, but I believe if we do a little work, we'll find some beauty in uh, the truth of God. Now, we know as human beings, we know from even our own experience that both wine and wealth can be treacherous. They can be traitors. They can be the source of much difficulty, hurt, and pain. But on the onset of this, and although we're going to talk about the context this morning of it, uh, neither wine nor wealth are inerrantly evil. They are not inerrantly bad in and of themselves. We see clearly throughout Scripture that wine is a blessing from the Lord. We see clearly throughout Scripture that God uses uh, and calls forth wealth for His people. These things are not bad in and of themselves. That's important to note. But what is bad is when, when they become a traitor, when they become treacherous. It says that wine or wealth there is a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as, she, as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. And as we've seen from the very beginning of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, through the Holy Spirit here, uses some very clear and beautiful and vivid metaphors um, to, to describe what's going on, to describe uh, the, the Babylonians, to describe uh, their wickedness, especially there in chapter 1. And so chapter 2 here in verse 5 is no different. But both wine and wealth are traitors. They both promise to bring fulfillment, 
but neither do. Now again, I want to be very clear that as we talk through and use the words wine and wealth, we're talking about the, the, uh, the, the, the misuse of, the mishandling of, the overabundance of, the, the, the way to use these in which is not honoring and glorifying to God. But there is a way in which wine and wealth are traitors. They are treacherous, but they both do the same. They promise fulfillment, but neither of them fulfill. Thus, they are traitors. They tell you one thing and yet do another. And so he's setting this this up for us of this destruction. He's setting this up for us of of what the arrogant does and how this, this wine and how this wealth and how this characterizes, if you will, the arrogant man who God is not pleased with, who these five woes will be uh, cast upon in the rest of chapter 2. It also mentions Sheol here. Sheol is the, the Old Testament. Uh, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, it's, a, it's in, essence, in essence synonymous with the grave. Uh, death and so it is saying that here in Sheol is the grave of weights his, his, his greed is as wide as the graveyard like death he has never enough and we know this that debt no, especially we're in tax season right tomorrow is supposedly uh, the tax deadline in case you didn't know I've heard rumors it got extended to June for Louisiana I don't know I'm not a tax uh, a person but but death and taxes right are certain and so we see even that here that this certainty this uh, insatiability if you will of death it cannot have enough as the arrogant man who has no rest and so he is painting for us this very clear picture of, of not being fulfilled, of not being satisfied. Proverbs 27.20 <clears throat> extends this metaphor, if you will, a little bit and adds another one. It says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. And so how can we, the people of God, be satisfied? How can we be fulfilled and that's what we'll look at this morning. And he continues, and just kind of want to pick up some of these, um, uh, these words this morning before we unpack it. <clears throat> so like death, he is never <clears throat> enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And so we're going to come back to this term gathers and look at this great contrast of the, the Chaldeans and believers today. And so let's kind of just unpack for a moment a couple of things that's happening here in verse 5 when it says that moreover wine is a traitor, moreover wealth is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. And if I were to kind of speak to, to seniors for a moment, and all these truths are not just good for seniors, and I say seniors, you're now formerly seniors, right, Madison? You graduated this week. Congratulations. And Nate, you graduated. And Lisa, you graduated. And Logan, you graduated. Very well. 4.0, by the way, Logan. I was walking up to the stadium to see our seniors graduate. I missed it because he was very beginning, Mr. 4.0. So, um, but you've graduated. You're not seniors anymore. And so all of us, this truth applies to us. But if I were to give you kind of three points here in verse 5, it would be this. The first one is, very practical point, there is no place for drunkenness in a believer's life. There's no place for drunkenness in a believer's life. Now we're going to bring all these to the text, but I just want to bring out some very practical points says that moreover wine is a traitor an arrogant man who is never at rest and so he's using this idea of drunkenness and the babylonians were known characteristically as those who were consumed with wine consumed with drunkenness they were full of it it was 
known as who they were. And so even the, those that the original audience, whenever they would make that connection, they would know exactly what he was referring to. This overconsumption, this indulgence, if you will, this drunkenness. And there is no place for that in a believer's life. And we don't uh, talk about this often here at North Hills because it doesn't show up in the text often. But especially to our seniors in the next four years or five years or seven years, however long it takes you to get through higher education, that many of your friends will pursue a life of sinful indulgence in multiple ways, not just through drunkenness. And eventually most will grow up and mature in worldly wisdom, realizing the foolishness of their ways. But that is not truly growing up. That is not maturing in the Lord. As Spirit-filled believers... You were called to walk a different path. As spirit-filled believers, we as adults are called to walk a different path. As spirit-filled whoever, children, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Harold had a birthday this week. I don't even know what decade he's in now. We are called to walk a different path. And so let us learn, even from this nugget in Habakkuk, the wine is a traitor. Indulgence never has enough. And so what is enough for a believer? Christ is enough. He is the well of living water. Those who pursue Christ and walk in His ways will never find Him a traitor. Scripture says He will never leave us or forsake us. But you will find in Christ hope and peace, fulfillment, direction, purpose, and you will not find any regrets in Christ. As we talked about in Jeremiah, we may see things that the world would see as regrets in our life and difficulties and pain and suffering. But as we follow Christ, all things work together for the good for those who love and trust the Lord who are called according to His purposes. And so in Christ is our true fulfillment. And so... Seniors and all of those of us alike, let us drink from the well that never runs dry. And secondly, as we look at this, uh, even this language, whether it's wine or wealth, moreover, wine is a traitor, moreover, wealth is a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. If there's no place for drunkenness in a believer's life, and there's no place for greedy pursuits in a believer's life. And someone said this morning, now, now you're meddling. <laughs> I got the, the drunkenness part. That's clear as, as believers. But no place for greedy pursuits in a believer's life. And especially as you think about the kind of beginning your college days and you're beginning your career and what you're going to do for the remainder of your life. It's an easy place to begin to, to, uh, to have possibly greedy ambitions. There will be many people who, whether they're working through college or they're starting their career or they're bypassing college, that they will begin a very treacherous path that leads to greedy pursuits. And the church doesn't talk about greed very often for many reasons, but it is something the Bible speaks clearly of. And in our text this morning, there is an accurate way to read this. It says, if you be careful that wealth is a traitor. And we know that money is not evil. We know it's the love of money, the pursuit of money, a sinful pursuit of money that is sinful and we should be cautious of. Decisions and plans will be, made, will be made that lead to the most dollars and little thought to be given to what honors Christ. And so 
to our graduates this morning. I encourage you as you think about your careers, you think about college, you think about what lies ahead, and even as you decide what to do in college, that we don't make those decisions based on how we make the most money in this life, but how do we honor Christ in our careers, in our pursuits, in our days in college. Just like the love of wine, the love of money is a traitor in waiting. And adults could tell you that, and most adults in here could tell you how they've walked that path and lived that and have struggled with it. And that just like drunkenness, just like wine that is misused, that wealth that is poorly sought has no fulfillment, that there is emptiness there. Education is good, careers are good, work is good. But money that flows from these can be good, can be beneficial, and can be Christ-honoring. But let us be careful, for wealth can be a traitor. It promises fulfillment. It promises provision, protection, and satisfaction. But it does not ultimately bring it. Because, and our third point there. Is that the greatest treasure that you can ever seek is Christ. That the greatest treasure that you can seek is Christ. Christ. And this is not a Sunday school answer. This is not a, uh, just a point to a sermon. This is not just something to say to, to, to be biblical this morning, but it is to be truthful. That the aim of every believer's life is Christ. The aim of every believer's life is Christ. It's to honor Christ. It's to look to Christ. It's to trust Christ. It's to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so your aim as you graduate high school, your aim as you start off in college, your aim as you think about the remainder of your life, your aim as you think about your relationships and marriage and family and all these big decisions you'll be making in the next several years, your aim as a believer should be Christ. The Westminster Catechism rightly puts it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our favorite pastor, my favorite pastor, John Piper, tweaks it, makes a subtle change and says that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And so our purpose in life, and that's a question we often uh, we, we, we talk about and say there is no real answer to or good answer. We can't answer it or it's subjective to everybody. What's, what's my purpose? And maybe seniors or graduates, as you kind of stand on this brink of, of starting college and starting this kind of young adulthood, you know, what are you, right? Are you a kid? Are you a young adult? Are you adult? Are you, you know, you're, you're finding your way. What's my purpose? Your purpose is to glorify God in all that you do. Whether you eat, or whether you drink, and whatever you do, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So what will your life pursuit be? What will our life pursuit be? Wine, wealth, or Christ? Now back to our text here. I want us to see two contrasts this morning before we get out of verse 5. It says, moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man is never at rest. An arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed 
is as wide as Sheol, like death, he never has enough. And so we see this contrast. There's two words I want to pick up on. The first word is rest. An arrogant man is never at rest. The little more nuanced translation would say that he is never at rest. And another way to say that, another proper word to use to translate this term at rest is abide. And so in essence, it says that an arrogant man does not abide. He is not at rest. He is continually going after more. He cannot cease from what he is doing. The drunk can never rest. He is always wanting to drink more. The greedy cannot rest, but they're always wanting to make more. The lustful cannot rest because they're always wanting to see more. The gossip cannot rest because they're always wanting to share more and hear more. The self-righteous cannot rest because they're always wanting to do more. And hopefully, graduates, you've heard here at North Hills these past seven or eight years that you've been here, is that the gospel, the message is not about doing more, but it's about resting. Redeemed people, Evan would finish the sentence with, Sing, right? Redeem people sing. Redeem people do a lot of things. Redeem people sing. Redeem people also rest. Now, graduates, don't mishear that. Doesn't mean you graduated high school, you get to just check out until college, right? You get to rest, you get to be lazy, you get to sleep in. Go get a job this summer, okay? But that's not the rest that we're speaking of. Redeem people rest. This is not a reference to not working on Sunday or sleeping in more or being lazy, but it points to the rest that we have in Christ and how we abide in Him. And so let's turn quickly to two passages. Uh, we'll start in John chapter 15. This comparison of the Babylonians, these sinful people who are far from God and those who belong to God, those who are truly belong to him john chapter 15 verse 11 verses there i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word i have spoken to you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So where does fulfillment come from? Where does joy come from? It doesn't come from the pursuits of this world. It comes from abiding in Christ, the true vine, resting in Him. And so we see this picture. It's not what we do. It's us being connected to Christ. And so graduates and everyone else 
here who claim to follow the Lord and look to the Lord and trust the Lord? How do we live in this life? We do so by resting in Jesus, by trusting in Jesus, by abiding in Jesus. I would encourage you graduates this week, you've got nothing else to do. School's over, right? College hasn't started yet. May have a little part-time job. Spend some time in John chapter 15. Ask the Lord, how do I abide in Christ? Of course, I can't help but go to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4. If I could even find it. Probably one of my absolute favorite topics in the book of Hebrews is rest. And we won't go into all the stuff this morning, but how ultimately what we see in the the Sabbath laws and all the stuff in the Old Testament ultimately point to this very truth right here. But Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us there therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So as you take these, these truths that we see from Hebrews and this truth we see from the, the Gospel of John, We see this contrast in the Babylonians who are never at rest. They never settle. They're never fulfilled. They're never satisfied. Their joy is never made complete because it's not found in the Lord. It's found in their ability. It's found in their pursuit of these unrighteous pursuits. An arrogant man is never at rest, but redeemed people rest and then secondly as this word gathers here it says greed is as wide as shield like death he has never had he never has enough it says he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples we've seen this in chapter one we've seen we've been talking about this often that the babylonians are just they're like ants and locusts they're just they're they're scurrying over the earth and and devouring destroying and devastating all who they would come in contact with their goal is world domination in its simplest form their goal is to take over the known world and kill steal and destroy as always is the mission of the enemy But they are gathering what is not theirs. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And so those who they don't don't kill, they assimilate into their culture. It's abundantly clear that Habakkuk has in mind here the nation of Babylon that is set on conquering the known world. They act as if the world is theirs to conquer. But the nations are not theirs to conquer. It's not theirs to keep. They are. There are no unowned territories in all of God's world. A couple Psalms to look at. Psalm 22, verse 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. So these nations that the, that the Babylonians are conquering and it seems that, that, that they're just taking over, God never let up. They didn't 
take it over from the Lord. It was not this cosmic battle. They've always belonged to the Lord. And God has always had a plan. Go may turn to uh, Psalm 47 briefly. Psalm 47. Just clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, the great King over all the earth. Not just Israel, over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom He loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So it is the Lord who reigns over all the nations. Not a thing that has ever happened to a nation, to a state, to a people group, to a person, to a graduate, to a college student, to a young person, to an old person, and anywhere in between has ever happened outside of God's sovereign will. Because he sits on his throne, presiding over the nations. And so what is God's desire for the nations that he rules over? Let's just turn real quick. Matthew, I want to read these four verses and then we're going to sum them up. Matthew chapter 28. Many of you are familiar with Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. What is God's desire for the nations that He rules over? Four verses. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of some nations of Israel, of America, of fill in the blank. No, of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what's God's desire? God's desire, His command, the command of Jesus to His people is that we go to all the nations. In summary, Revelation chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus saves some from every nation, every tribe. And the book of Revelation that we're not going to get to for another 15 years is that God desires and God says that some from all nations and all people will be gathered around His throne. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, it says God that He equips us, God equips His people to take the gospel to the nations. So He doesn't just command us to go. He doesn't just say they're going to be reached. He, he equips us to go to the nations. Romans 15, 8 and 9, Christ models that. Let's turn to, to that passage real quick. Romans chapter 15. Verse 8 and 9 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the, circum- to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The Gentiles representing all the nations, all those who are not Israel. So Christ models that for us. And so I love how Piper kind of sums this up in his book, Bloodlines. He says this, 
the missionary mandate to make disciples of all nations is described in Revelation 5, 9 as persons from every tribe and language and people and nation worshiping the Lamb and declaring the infinite worth of His glory. So, the apostolic vocation and the messianic example of Christ. So what we're called to do and what Christ has uh, modeled for us and the consummation of all missions have one explicit aim. And what he said there was what we're called to do, what Christ has modeled for us and the sum of all missionary endeavors is this to display the glory of Christ through the ingathering of a hugely diverse and unified redeemed people. So we see that what God cares about is redeeming the nations or seeing those come to Him, His people from all nations, all walks of life, all people groups, all tongues to look to and profess the name of Christ. And so this is the great contrast between the Chaldeans and those of Christ. That the Chaldeans desire to destroy the nations while Christ desires to save the nations. The Babylonians defeated nations to spread their glory. That was their sole motivation. While Christ saves the nations to spread the glory of God. And there's nothing greater that we can be about than to be about the mission of God. And so to our seniors, to our graduates, to all of us today, may we be a people who are committed to glorifying God throughout the nations. There's nothing more the North Hills would love to see than one of our graduates the next three or four years engages the people of God. Does that mean to go be a full-time missionary? Maybe. Does that mean just have a heart and a brokenness for God's people or engage in, in some very specific capacity? Does that mean for us as a church to be more engaged with the gospel going forth throughout the nations? <clears throat> but may we be a people committed to glorifying God throughout all the nations. Because we're going to see these woes next week. But it's clear that this nation, this people, the Babylonians, that they are a treacherous people, that they are arrogant, that they are solely focused on their glory and their kingdom and their reign. And they are as far as God as you can be. So may we draw close to the Lord. May we abide in Christ. May we rest in Him so that we may bear fruit and engage the nations. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for our graduates this morning. And may it be a reminder to all of us that as long as you allow us to tarry in this life, that we would be about your glory and lifting up the name of Christ. This morning as we sing as we receive communion, as we have a chance to give, even as we leave this place. And we do all of these in faith and in response to you in obedience. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.